0: Disciples, week four of your story comes from Mark 4. That day, when evening came, he said to his disciples, Let's go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. And Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. And the disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up. He rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. And then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified. And they ask each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him.
1: It's week four of 40 New Testament passages, and today we're beginning a run of six passages we're gonna look at together that have these amazing perspectives on this thing called discipleship and this thing called faith. Today is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Um, It's the story that you've just heard of Jesus Calming the storm. And the story appears in in three of the Gospels, in Matthew, in Mark, and in Luke. Today we're going to kind of track with the Mark 4 version of the story. And what we're going to see is it draws out some pretty significant implications for what this thing that we call faith actually is and what it isn't. And I think what we're going to see is that the gospel writers and Jesus have a very interesting way of taking this thing that we call faith and turning it on its head to show us that often it looks very different than what we assume and expect. So, I'm gonna invite you to, to keep the story in front of you today. Um, if you brought a Bible, great. Flip open to, to, to Mark chapter four, verse 35. If not, there, just pull one out of the chairs here. And uh, let, let's jump in. Mark's story begins with Jesus teaching now the paparazzi have been swarming around Jesus and he can't get away from them It says that the crowds pushed in him so hard and for so long that Jesus actually had to get into a boat To teach him from there because would you agree that each of us needs our personal space? So here's Jesus and there's crowds and multitudes crowded on this shore looking to hear what Jesus is gonna say And here he is from this boat teaching them But then the people get the idea going hey We can get into boats too and suddenly they start surrounding him in boats as well Jesus teaches them throughout the day and it comes to the end It's time to catch a breath He's tired and he says to his disciples Let's go to the other side of the lake. So they dismiss the crowd and the disciples, with Jesus there in the boat, they take him along and they begin to go. Now here's a satellite picture of the lake that Jesus is crossing. It's called the Sea of Galilee. You might also hear it by Lake Gennesaret or Lake Tiberius throughout history in the Bible. It sits about 700 feet below sea level, and it's surrounded by very tall hills and and, and elevations and, and, and mountains, I guess you can say, around it so that when storms come in, they come in quick. The lake is about 13 miles from north to south, top to bottom, and it's about eight miles wide from east to west if you're looking at the biggest part. There at the top now if you're looking at this lake on a map. It is that blue dot of water Up at the top and you might see some cities by it named things like Capernaum and Nazareth and Sephora just north of Galilee. Do you see that? This is the lake that Jesus is on and they say let's go to the other side of the lake now, there's something significant about the other side. See, Jesus is on the west side of the lake. He's an Israelite country. He's by these, these Galilean cities of, of Capernaum and Nazareth and Sepphoris and going to the other side. And do you see that on the map, it kind of has a shaded area and it says Decapolis there. This is the side that Jesus decides to go to. Now, Decapolis, it just means ten cities, Deca, ten, Paulus, city, all right? The ten cities, and and this area was a confederation of of ten cities that, that bonded together, that while under jurisdiction, they really were an entity to themselves. But more significantly, this is Gentile country. This is pagan territory, People raise pigs here. People are ceremonially unclean here. They're far from Jerusalem and far from God. You got to kind of get your mind wrapped around it. Good God-fearing Jews don't go to Decapolis at night. Are, are, Are you with me? This is dark. Country. This is the pagan lands where people do pagan things like drinking the blood of bats and who knows what other, other weird things that they got going on over there. And Jesus says, let's go there because that's idea, Jesus' idea of getting like some R&R. They get into the boat. And they start going over from west to east into this pagan territory. And the story says this swells up. Have you ever been in open water in a big storm? Mark goes on to call to say that that, that the winds just they came in and and these gale force winds rushed down on the waves they start to get high so big that they start to crash against the boat so much that they begin to break over the boat and it starts to fill up Matthew in his version of the story will call it a seismos what does that sound like to you Seismography, you've heard this before. It's what we use to track earthquakes. It's the study of the earth shaking. Though the the writer will talk about how, how it's like the very water began to shake and tremble. The boat began to shake, and it looked like they were going to die. And they cry out to Jesus because what is he doing? taken a nap. Have you ever felt like you were in the middle of a storm and God was taking a nap? I remember the first time I was in open water in the middle of a storm. I was about 10 years old. I was with my dad. It was one of the most terrifying things in my life ever. Um... The lake, truth be told, was probably only a few hundred acres. But I remember we were out there and we were fishing. Now, now I hate to fish, okay? My dad loves to fish. I hate to fish because this is my experience of what fishing is like up to that point in my life. You find the hottest day of the summer. You go out at 2 p.m. when the humidity can't get any worse, and you sit in a boat and you get bit by mosquitoes. And what do you do while you sit out on this 90-degree day looking at, at this boat, you know, being stung by mosquitoes? Well, you watch the water. That's just what you do. Because heaven forbid anything would ever bite a hook, so there you do, you just sweat and feel miserable. This is my experience of fishing. Now, my dad, on the other hand, loved to fish. And dads, have you ever had this moment where you connected with one of your children and you realize that there was an intimate moment happening here, something that you couldn't have planned, it came upon you and you're like this moment is so fragile and I wouldn't risk anything for this moment to end. See, something happened out there on that lake. The fish were biting. You'd put the line in, you'd pull one out. you put the line in, pull another one out. you put it in again, it would happen again. I remember having this moment going, really, is this why people like to fish? And I remember for my dad, there was this moment of, I have prayed for this my entire life. And it's probably why my dad left us on the water with what came next. Now, have you ever heard the expression, the clouds rolled in? I always used to think that was a metaphor but that day the clouds literally were doing 360 degree barrel rolls coming in. I remember sitting in the lake and we were looking out and we start to see out on the horizon these clouds start to roll in dad don't you think we should go in uh, ah nah 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 cause my dad's not gonna do anything to break that moment they start rolling in and then that that wind starts have you ever been there on the cusp of a storm and you start to get that whoosh. That that wind that just starts to build. There's no rain yet. But you know this is a foreboding of something that you could only describe as apocalyptic. And it starts to rush in. And before you know it, the waves started kicking up. And here we are, on like this eight-foot, two-person, exposed rowboat, out in the middle of the lake because the fish are biting and the clouds are rolling in. And I remember the sound When the thunder started to open up, not there, not there, but everywhere. And I remember watching the lightning come down on the shore and on the water and crashing all around us. And then the way, the, the rain started coming down, but it's probably not fair to say it, it came down because it really came more of like a, a left to right kind of motion and we're, we're out there and, and the waves are getting big and the wind is blowing. And I remember us in the middle of that lake in this eight-foot rowboat, and the boat starts to do 360s in the middle of the lake, because as much as we're rowing, it is not enough to bring the boat in, in the midst of this storm. I remember having this moment thinking, we are going to die. I remember looking at my dad going, Dad, if this goes bad, I love you. To which, of course, it took my dad's moment from like here to here, and you know, nothing was gonna break this at that point. And if you've ever been in big water in a time like that, you might understand a bit of what it was like for those disciples in the middle of this lake. Here they are, out in the middle, trying to get to the other side. And the wind comes in, and the waves start overlapping the boat. It starts filling it and it looks like the boat is going to sink. What do you do when you find yourself in the middle of a storm? And it's starting to beat against you and the waves are starting to crash over your life and your soul and you feel like you're going down and it seems like Jesus is asleep. I love the story. The disciples cry out, get him up! Teacher, don't you care that we're gonna drown? And, and, and I just love how Jesus does it in this moment. It's almost kind of one of these like, huh, what? you know, kind of things. He almost seems perturbed, doesn't he? That, that, that people came and woke him up. It's like when your kid comes in at four in the morning, you're like, no, there is not a monster in your closet. Go back to sleep. But he drags himself up. Come on, Peter, go make some coffee. He goes out to the stern of the boat, and I love what he calls out. Shut up! Our our translations, they get so pious, don't they? Oh, be thou quiet. No. Shut up. I'm trying to sleep here. He actually goes on to say, and it translates better this way, be muzzled. Shut your yap. And it's like Jesus saying, you won't shut it, I'm putting one on you. And the wind dies down, and it says it gets completely calm. And what we have here is a story of Jesus' authority over reality. I think for many of us, it's very easy to let Jesus have authority over super-reality. You know what I mean? It's easy for Jesus, for us to let Jesus have authority over those things that we call, quote, spiritual. Over the supernatural. It's easy for me to let Jesus have charge of my soul and prepare a place for me in heaven because it's intangible. And so it's just kind of ethereal and out there. But what happens when Jesus comes to have authority in the very real and tangible in the here and now? Sometimes I think it's easier to trust Jesus with our soul than to recognize his authority in the things of life before us, like the financial mess we're in, like like the health problems that we face, like our marriage that's falling apart. Harder sometimes to trust him with things just with, with my life course. Where am I to be going and what am I to be doing? And God, what do you want me to do with my life? It's in those moments, isn't it, that faith starts getting real? And this is what it was like for the disciples. And I love how the gospel writers describe the disciples' Response. Jesus gets up, he quiets the storm, right? Now, each gospel writer in telling this story will bring their own perspective and nuance into how the disciples come face to face with this one who not only exercises authority over super reality, but also the reality right before their eyes. Now, Matthew will say this, Jesus looks at him and he goes, why, why are you so cowardly, why are you so afraid? And, and in Matthew it says, the men were amazed and said, what kind of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? I don't know about you, but if I'm out in the middle of a lake and there's a storm raging, and, and some guy wakes up from a nap, goes out on the boat and tells it to be quiet and it does, that would leave me with a little bit of amazement. How about you? Luke, on the other hand, puts it differently. Take a look at how Luke phrases the disciples' reaction. What's the difference here? Here we have fear and amazement. Matthew is just like, wow, that's awesome. Luke, we have, wow, that's awesome, combined with, oh my God, right? Have you ever had both of those emotions living simultaneously in your heart at the same time? Absolute amazement and excitement completely laced with terror and fear? You kind of get where Luke is coming from there. But what I find fascinating is how Mark describes the disciples' reactions. See if you can catch it. How does Mark frame it? What's the difference in Mark? See it? They're just afraid. There's no wonder and awe and reverence here. There's no excitement and wow. It's just, they are just simply afraid terrified. What's more, there's something very interesting in Mark's story because when the storm comes in, it never directly describes the disciples as being afraid. Now Jesus comes back and says, why are you such cowards? And of course you see it coming out of their emotion, this fear. But after Jesus calms the storm, their fear translates into something else. Great fear. Not before, but after Jesus calms the storm and shows his authority. Mark will put it literally like this. They not only not just feared, he will say they feared a great fear. Is that not entirely odd to you? That in the middle of the storm, when they thought they were going to die, and when they thought that Jesus was asleep and did not care, they were afraid. But when Jesus woke up and spoke his authority and command into the situation, the fear got worse. Because sometimes we find ourselves in the middle of storms, don't we? We find ourselves going, God, don't you care? are you sleeping on me here and we're filled with fear but have you ever had those moments in your life when god actually showed up and you realize that there is a presence and a power here and now that goes beyond the very thing you were afraid of and you realize the magnitude of what you stand in the midst of now that my friends can be a very scary Thing. Because for Mark, faith and discipleship is about getting it wrong. Everyone wants to characterize faith as this sure and certain hope, don't they? And yet for Mark, faith and discipleship is about getting it wrong. It is about Misunderstanding, messing up, being thick-headed, being hard-hearted, being dense as bricks, being the queen mother of missing the point. For Mark, discipleship in faith is riddled with doubt and with failure and with screwing it up and doing everything. Jesus says this and and, uh, I'm kind of like fixated over here. Jesus says, go there, I hide in a boat. Jesus says, hey, look, I'm telling you, play in his day. And we go, what does he mean, right? This is discipleship in faith for Mark. And you know what? I find that to be terribly good news because that means a screw up like me who goes through my life of discipleship botching the job messing it up and misunderstanding and hiding in boats and failing again and again that God is still there saying come follow me. We we have this uh, a discipleship a, a discipleship statement here at FOF it's it's what defines us what we say we're about is make disciples who make disciples but i'd like to share with you a little bit of the write up of what we see discipleship meaning our write up says this throughout the new testament jesus constantly invites people from all walks of life to follow him These people are called disciples. People on both sides of the lake. A disciple is not someone content to simply know what Jesus taught. A disciple is someone who wants to be who Jesus is. A disciple is someone radically pursuing a deeper relationship with Jesus. This is what the call of discipleship is, but And especially in Mark, the reality is that being a disciple is not an advanced spiritual condition. It often means being very green, or maybe in this context we should say very wet, and more than just behind the ears. It's someone who is undergoing a process of spiritual formation often with more emphasis on the journey than the destination. It can be messy, amen? It can be hard, amen? It can be confusing, would you agree? Which is why we think the church should be about people helping each other on this journey. I want to go back to that slide I showed you earlier. Of the storm. What is this picture a metaphor of in your life right now? What does this picture describe about where you're at here today? What winds are are are, are breaking against you and beating you down? What seismos is shaking your world around you? What waves are crashing over your walls and your soul and seeking to drown you? What are you in the midst of right now that when you look around in every direction, all you see are crashing waves with no idea where to turn and Jesus sleeping on a cushion. I want to invite you this morning to close your eyes just for a few moments and visualize what that storm is. Come to terms with it, and as you keep your eyes closed, I'm going to read something to you, and I'm going to read it several times. Just permit yourself to be in the moment, here today. And to let Jesus' words wash over your soul and speak into your storm. He got up, rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He got up, rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. wind died down, and it was completely calm. He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, quiet, be still. And the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He got up rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. And the wind died down, and it was completely calm.
2: morning but this song is a new song uh, for you guys and uh, I wrote this at a time in my life when there were some storms not just one but multiple storms and uh, they all kind of converged as they say, kind of the perfect storm. And I did find myself in the boat, not even consciously wondering if I had faith or lacking faith, but just wanting to cry out to acknowledge God's presence. And through the midst of the storms, through the trials, some of the trials brought on by my own hands and my own sin, some of the trials that were deeply affecting me that weren't brought on by my own hands. As we sing this song, I invite you to join along when it um, feels right, feels comfortable. You stay seated, you could stand kneel lay down on the floor, face down before the Lord, do whatever feels good, but just come into God's presence and just acknowledge that He is here.
3: god is here you are enough never to fear we declare our god is here Christ, I realize you are here, and why should I ever deny you are near, as yes, we stand in your presence. your name we lift you up we sing your praise we proclaim our god is here you are enough never to fear God is here. Yes, we lift you up. We sing your praise.